For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome in. We got a brand new show. Uh, this is the pilot edition of, we're calling it Coaching Chatter. Joining me is two special guests, a Vanderbilt alumni uh, and co-founder of SOAR Training, SOAR Athletic Training. That is Kurt Page. Kurt, how you doing, man? I'm fantastic. Coach Burton, just looking forward to getting this chatter going about these coaches. And I'd be remiss if we didn't uh, welcome our second host. He is uh, also co-founder of Soar Athletic Training. He is uh, he's on the radio in Nashville. Craig Ladd, how you doing? I'm doing well, Corey. Uh, looking forward to uh, a lot of uh, banter back and forth about uh, what's going on in the SEC. Absolutely. Well, uh, I, I am uh, your host, Corey Burton. Uh, I am a uh, high school football coach at Hillwood High School. I'm also host of the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast and also uh, the Illegal Motion College Football podcast. So, uh, and then uh, hope to grow this one as well. So let's kind of let's kind of give them an idea of, of of what we're what we're thinking with this podcast. What are we going to talk about? What what is the purpose of this show? Uh, coaching chatter. We're going to take a look at the. Uh, you know, we're going to break down the coaches in the. SEC footprint. Um, so we'll take a look at some NFL stuff as well as high school and college um, in the SEC footprint. Uh, kind of some of the bigger stories that are surrounded in, in the coaching world. Uh, we'll break down uh, coaching philosophies, things like that. And of course, we'll be right on top of all the coaching changes when Black Monday rolls around um, in both college and the pros. So uh, it's a pleasure that you guys are joining me. Uh, before we really get rolling into it, tell me a little bit about SOAR Athletic Training. SOAR Athletic Training is a, is a new uh, company uh, here in the Middle Tennessee area. Uh, we're going to be targeting the uh, youth football uh, young men uh, in grades 4 through 11, 4 through 8th grade. Uh, we're going to have a November the 15th have an inaugural camp. Uh, we're going to grow it to a passing league for that age group. And, uh, we're going to base basically out of Wilson County and then also have teams from Davidson County. And it's a holistic program, so we're going to talk about the body, the mind, and the soul and try to develop these young men into becoming uh, better uh, young people on and off the field. All right. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to kind of see how that uh, rocks and rolls. Uh, you got an event coming up, right? We do. Uh, we have our first camp. It's going to be Sunday, November the 15th. Uh, we're getting uh, – uh, in attendees enrolling daily. Uh, it's going to uh, kind of nestle in between the end of football season. And with COVID, there's a lot of these young people that weren't able to play. So we're filling a void for a lot of these guys that didn't get to play this fall. And so we're going to uh, kind of jumpstart uh, 2021 with this camp and then get started with the, with the passing league uh, in the spring. All right. Well, exciting things to come. It's just getting launched off the ground. So, uh, Craig, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Let's give a little background on the on the uh, on our next co-host, Craig Ladd. What's up? 
native Middle Tennessean, grew up in Franklin, uh, graduated from Battleground Academy with the University of Tennessee. I uh, have a radio background. That was uh, my first love, play-by-play. Uh, high school athletics I've always loved and uh, has been a part of my life for 30-plus years and uh, worked uh, in journalism also uh, for Athlon Sports Communications, uh, Southeastern football. A lot of people will be uh, familiar with that. And then also uh, – uh, have been uh, the sports editor of a local paper called the City Paper, and uh, so really just a sports journalism background that I have uh, many years uh, in the Nashville sports media. All right, well, it's a pleasure to have you on, and Coach Page is a pleasure to have you on. Uh, the connection here, uh, why, why do I, uh, why, why am I having you guys on here on this podcast? Well, we're all connected. Uh, Coach Page found me in uh, 2016. Uh, brought me on to uh, Hillwood High School in 2017. Uh, he gave me the opportunity to be offensive coordinator. Uh, he helped me grow in that position, and uh, I, I got the distinct honor to work uh, with him and his son um, as my quarterback for two years, for two seasons. And uh, that 2018 bunch was uh, is still one of my favorite bunches that I've worked with uh, so far in my coaching career. They There was just something special about that group. Uh, Kurt, it was, uh, you know, it just seemed like they bought in from, from the word go. I mean, it just, you know, it was easy each and every day. They were coming up with ideas themselves. Uh, they bought into what we were doing and, uh, we had a lot of success on that side of the ball. I uh, wish things could have gone better overall, uh, with that season, but again, I wouldn't trade it for, for anything in the world because I mean, you know, just the, just the pure joy of those guys coming to practice each and every day was, was, uh, was enough for me and and uh it was it was a truly special team truly a special group and uh we got a couple guys that i'm following now from that from that team erie lawrence and avery bass are are still kicking around they're in uh, junior college out in california their their season starting on january in january sometime uh they're both at east la uh community college so looking for big things with uh both of those guys so um that's the connection uh, right there. Uh, I'm still at Hillwood uh, since you guys have left, and uh, you know I'm still kind of holding down the fort a little bit. Uh, Craig, the, one of the one of the best stories I, I think uh, that I remember w- with uh, with you and I, we were at Beach. Um, it was you know you and me and Scott Garland and and uh, and Gary Clark. We were all crammed in this. Uh, it wasn't much more than a closet, really. Uh, the size of it. I mean, I, I was sitting in the. I I wasn't sitting. I was standing in the back row with all the season ticket holders. I was pacing back and forth, and you know, I, I think there was probably a group of three or four season ticket holders that learned all of our play calls that night. Um, they could probably recite it back, and uh, they they also learned uh, that I have a lot of four letter lexicons sometimes throughout the course of a game. So, um, but the one moment that really stands out, Craig, and and, and you can uh, you can attest to this. I uh, I tested the sturdiness of that press box that night. Yes, you did, um, Corey. There was a there was a a call that uh, none of us uh, thought was very good, and and uh, you especially didn't think it was very good. <laughs> yes, I, I didn't. I, I tested the, the the good news is is the press box is in fact sturdy it did not come down so um but i I gave it my best shot with my foot is it true that they had to go to the synthetic grass as a result of that because of you know the damage that you did verbally to the field 
It is. It is. They. They. I. I just <laughs> destroyed uh, their grass field, so um, they had to. They had to switch, and and it was. Uh, you know, it looks like a. It, their field looks like the outfield wall at a minor league park where it has all the advertisements, you know? Yes. It's like huge ads painted onto the surface, both on the field and off the sideline. It's uh but it's a great surface. It's a brand new surface. They've only played three games on it. They had a couple cancellations and they played a lot of road games. So uh, they've only really played three games on it. Uh, so we were just there last week and it was, uh, you know that's that's a nice that's a nice place. So, um, but yeah, that's uh, you know that's the connection that we all have. Uh, we still haven't had our stats as good as uh, as good as we had it when you were there, Craig. So, um, if you want to drive all the way from Chapel Hill every Friday night, you're more than welcome to and and uh, help us keep our stats. So, uh, I this, Corey. If you can tell Coach Moore, you know, it, it, I can be bald. You can be bought. Okay. All right. What, what's it going to take? Some some wits. You know, some, I do. I do like to eat. That's all I like to say. I, I, that's all I have to say. We'll we'll get we'll get uh, we'll get Cliff on it for you. We'll we'll get you a yes. few, few catered meals. You know, he he caters uh, every game with uh, with Marco's Pizza. Every everybody that works in the press box gets a little small personal uh, personal Marco's Pizza. Wow, that's enough it's to not, come back. I don't remember that when Coach Page was there. Do you? No. <laughs> I, and, and the thing is, I have to smell it every time I go in there. <laughs> but uh, I st- the the difference is though, Kurt, is I stand on the roof now. I don't yeah. stand. I don't sit in that room. I stand up on the roof because I, I like to pace and I lean up against that railing. I, just, I stand up on the roof. Um, but uh, yeah, let's get into the show. Um, you know, you can find me at Believe in Dogs on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Instagram. Uh, you can find me personally. At Coach Burton thirty six on Twitter, uh, Craig, do you do do you do Twitter? I do. Uh, at the Craig Lad. At the Craig Lad, Kurt. Kurt Page six twenty nine on the Twitter, and also uh, Soar Athletic Trainings on Twitter. Yes, All right. So find us, follow us, uh, give us some good feedback, um, and uh, you can you can check this show out. Uh, we are uh, like I said, this is the pilot episode. Hopefully, the first of many. Um, but we are called Coaching Chatter, so uh, Coaching Chatter, and we're going to talk about all uh, all the issues going on in the southeastern footprint through the perspective and the lens of a coach. Because let's face it, we got two coaches on here, uh, Coach Page and myself, Coach Burton. So um, I've never been mistaken for a coach, by the way. I'll just go ahead and put that out there. So that's not totally true. It's been called <laughs> Coach Lad in the last week. By the young men of Middle Tennessee youth football, maybe there you one go, Coach Lad. That's a nice yeah, ring to it. Yeah, yeah, but that's all. They just, they're they're young and impressionable. They <laughs> just don't know what they're talking about. That that has a nice ring to it. He was working the snaps this afternoon. <laughs> look at look at him. Look at him. Yeah. There you go, man. Uh, hey, that's that's what you got to do. Um. So, uh, let's get into it. Um. You know, big news. Obviously, the the biggest news from the weekend. Um. Uh, Dan Mullen or, or Coach Darth Vader uh, came to his press con- conference dressed as Darth Vader. Um, maybe not the best move. Uh, had a bench-clearing brawl that uh, you could argue that he incited uh, and, and made worse. Uh, so what do we make of this? How does this unfold? He was only fined $25,000 as much as Lane Kiffin was for a tweet and $75,000 less than what Jeremy Pruitt was, was fined for not wearing his mask properly, wearing it like a uh, Catholic nun. 
Well, I, I, the only thing I could understand by the fine amount compared to what Jeremy Pruitt was fined for his lack of mask, uh, and, uh, and I believe it was the Georgia game, I believe. And I, he, he must have pleaded poverty to uh, the SEC office. I don't get why his fine was so small, because you're right. Uh, it can be argued, and I'll say he did, uh, throw gas on the fire with his antics out there at midfield. Yeah, so, so Kurt, with one thing, uh, one thing I like too is about Lane Kiffin. He's going to get it was 25,000 pennies, and then he figured out shortly after that tweet that it's much more pennies to get to turn in. Yeah, he would have shorted the SEC <laughs> with 25,000 pennies. <laughs> yeah. so, all that, so, you know, SEC's still making, uh, building their brand in a lot of different ways. Yeah. A lot of different ways. And and so uh just looking at the fight itself and looking at Dan Mullen's role in it, Kurt, what you know, not saying that you've ever been involved in a situation like that, but how how do you think, you know, how do you think he handled it? You know, what could he have done differently? What would you have done in that situation if that happened um well, during I, a game that you were coaching in? It was his quarterback that took the hit. Mm-hmm. And I think he just he just got off his rocker. I mean, he basically he lost it. I mean, basically, he he took everything personal from that point on. And as a coach, you know, and, and we've all we've all coached and had had uh, you know young men that we that we really believed in and, and uh, we protected, and we wanted to make sure that they had success. And I think that's what happened. I think he just he got you know he got out of his lane, and, and then it and 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 a lot of times the players are going to be reflective of how their head coach is acting and how the head coach demeanor and. That was he. He really just pulled, just just really got everything going to another level, and that, that was disappointing. I'll say this too, guys. I, I think he did a good job of deflecting at his press conference by coming out in the Darth Vader <clears throat> headgear. I, I mm-hmm. think that was purposely done to be full, quite full frank costume. with you to deflect the heat. That I mean, I, I think if he in, in in hindsight, he, he looks back. He goes back and goes back and said, "You know what? I I, I was out of control. Didn't under, should not have done that." And I honestly think the you know to add a little levity to his press conference took away some of the heat on it. I think it added to. I mean, honestly, I think it added to to the joke that uh, that situation became and, and how he handled. It. I mean, I, I think if he just comes out and says, "Hey guys, I lost my cool. Uh, you know, I don't know what happened. I apologize." You know, it won't happen again. You know, I'll do a better job of keeping my cool. I'm the head coach. I've, that that's what I got to do. And so, I think if he comes out and says that, then, you know, for the most part, all all is, I guess you could say, all is forgiven. Uh, you know, a- after the appropriate consequences come down, um, you know that 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 seems to be the justice, and 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 you move on, and you say, okay, well, you know, that happens. People, you know. Whatever, and and you move on, and and you, you get on to the Georgia Florida week. Now it's a huge distraction for his team. Uh, that seems to be kind of all people are talking about now. Uh, there's so many pundits firing away, uh, including ourselves, uh, firing away about the situation and taking away from what is going to be a great matchup between two great teams, uh, Georgia and Florida this week. And and so, 
when you're dealing with that and your players are getting asked that question, they're not being asked about the game and they're, they're trying to figure out and they're trying to focus on how to answer those questions. And maybe that takes away uh, from, from their focus on the game. I, I don't know how they handle it. Different people handle it, handle those situations uh, in, in their own unique way. So you, you've got to think that that's got to play a factor, right? Yeah, I think so. I think the big thing, Corey, is that the, the whole – you know, sometimes these distractions can also help a coaching staff. It can help those guys rally around themselves as a staff and then rally around the players. And I can see them almost as a distracting technique that they're trying to get this, some of this done. Um, I, I see the, the Florida Gators and the Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, that that in itself, that matchup is huge. And in the year of COVID 2020, I mean, you know, weird, weird things are happening all year, and this is just one more thing. But, but I can see, you know, the big thing is they're not, you know, they're not getting into the X and O's. They're not getting into the matchups. And they're not getting into, you know, uh, Florida's defense and how well they're doing or how well Georgia's defense is playing or how well, you know, or how or maybe how well, uh, you know, certain uh, facets of each team really not getting that. What we're getting right now is all this chatter about the coach. And and how and questioning his leadership and all, all of that. So I mean, you know, you got a point there. I think, and uh, you know, sometimes distractions can be good. Sometimes they can be bad. I guess we won't find out until uh, Toe meets Leather on Saturday at two thirty Central Time on CBS with uh, with Georgia Florida. So, um, but moving to the other side of the coin, uh, Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs come in at four and one. Uh, but rather unique way of getting to four and one. Uh, they had a quarterback situation. Uh, let, let's rewind back into the, you know, spring or actually back into January, I should say. Uh, Jamie Newman uh, comes in, in roles as a as a graduate transfer from Wake Forest, uh, looking to be kind of the uh, okay. Well, you screwed up the J- Justin Fields situation, but okay, uh, you get this guy Jamie Newman. Maybe he can be the savior. I don't know. Uh, they signed Carson Beck signing day, four-star kid out of Jacksonville, Florida. Then uh, Stetson Bennett is is the uh, veteran guy on the roster. Uh, then later on that summer, uh, you get JT Daniels, I think in May, I believe, or maybe late May, early June, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, they get JT Daniels as a transfer from USC. Then he gets cleared uh, on waiver by the NCAA. Then Dewan Mathis gets medically cleared uh, after having brain surgery. And then, so now you got four quarterbacks that are viable and ready to play, right? You guys still with me on this? I know it's I know it's a big, big, long, winding road, as you said. Yeah, you, you may need to send me a, a text to, to be able to follow that. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a road. I'll, I'll get Kurt to draw you up a road map. I, mean, I appreciate that. it, yes. We need, a, we need a cartographer on that. So um, fast forward to uh, – then later on in training camp, after the first scrimmage, Jamie Newman says, nah, I'm good. I'm going to opt out, go to the NFL. Then now you're left with Daniels, Mathis, and Bennett and Beck. Okay. Now you got uh, four guys competing. They told Stetson he wasn't in the, he wasn't in the mix. JT Daniels' knee is sore. Uh, he can't go. He's not ready. So now you're down to Mathis, Bennett, and Beck. Mathis gets a start struggles. They pull him. They bring in Stetson. Stetson has great 
Second half against Arkansas, great two games against Auburn and Tennessee, and then boom, falls off the cliff. Uh, he's thrown five interceptions the last two games. I think he's had about uh, 150 passes batted down at the line of scrimmage in the last two games, uh, two of those resulting in two of the inter- two of the five interceptions. Uh, just kind of seemed to regress uh, between the Alabama game and the Kentucky game, not playing really well. So if you're Kirby, knowing that you have JT Daniels, who's probably still not quite ready, you have uh, Dewan Mathis, who is teetering on the edge of joining the transfer portal, and then you have a freshman, a uh, raw freshman, uh, you know, that obviously is not ready to play. Uh, what, do you, what do you guys do in that scenario? I, I stick with Stetson, uh, Corey, and, and the reason I say stick with him is as long as I have that big hoss of an offensive line that is opening up holes and uh, we've got running backs running through huge holes like they were against uh, Kentucky, you know, obviously they played it close to the vest against Kentucky. But, hey, you know what? That ball control offense eats up clock, limits possessions, that's a winning formula, and you got a strong defense. That's how you win ball games. Kurt, you know the the, the recipe is out against Alabama. You, you gotta, you know, you gotta score the points. You you gotta you gotta light up the scoreboard. It, you know, can they? You know, they can beat Kentucky. They can beat Tennessee and Auburn and and some of those teams. Uh, but can they beat Alabama with that? Well, I think when we're going to get to see that again, I really believe that, and so. By saying that, I, I think you gotta you gotta go with what your strengths are, and obviously his strength right now is their defense. Mm-hmm. And as they continue to improve their special teams, I think that's going to be key. And then if they can, uh, you know, more games are lost than won, so if they can figure out ways to uh, put uh, the, the mailman on the on the edge and let him, you know, just have a high low read and get him out of the pocket. I mean, he is a short guy, so. The book is out on him now. I mean, in NFL, it usually takes uh, about a year for the uh, defensive coordinators to catch up to the new newness of, of the new nuances of a new offense. Where in SEC, it probably takes. Well, let's look at Mississippi State. It took everybody uh, one game. You know, mm-hmm. so they made adjustments to coordinators. So I think the best coaches are in the SEC. And they have now figured out with Stetson Bennett, you know, rush up, you find out how to get back there, just get your hands up, he's a shorter quarterback. So now it's, it's imperative that the offensive coordinator for University of Georgia puts him in a successful position. I'll, I'll say this. That, guy, that game was very interesting. Uh, it was a throwback game. Those two teams did not combine for 100 yards passing until – about two minutes left in the first half. I kept I kept waiting to for the the shot to go over the Georgia sideline and see Vince Dooley, and the shot to go over the Kentucky side to see Jerry Claiborne. And that 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 game was played like it was in 1970. The, in the in the times of the high powered offenses and tossing the ball around, this was a throwback game to the 70s. Yeah, it was. You know, if you like running game and defense, this was the. The game for you, and you know, looking at Kentucky, you know, what do they have in, in Joey Gatewood? Well, I think I think you've got a young prospect. I think he's got a very good uh, head on his shoulders. I think he's been through whenever whenever you, whenever you leave a college and you leave a place that you had set up to go there for a year or two, 
from Jacksonville, Florida, from Bartram Trail. Uh, I, I think he, uh, you know, it's an adjustment period. And I think they have done uh, some good things to put him in a position to be successful. And I think he's going to play only better and better football. Yeah. I, think well, I mean, when you're talking about Coach Chatter, I mean, at what point is Eddie Grand going to be on the hot seat? This, this is two years in a row that Kentucky has basically had the same offense. They had a they had a wide receiver at quarterback last year and just ran the ball. And then here we are again with Gatewood, who was highly recruited coming out of high school, excellent athlete, can toss the ball around. He he they would not open up that offense at all for him. And the the wide receiver recruiting has just been subpar. And you know, you you got Josh Ali and that's pretty much it. So, you know, yeah, he's gotta be you know, there's got to be some things that he's got to be able to do to open up that offense and be a little bit more dynamic. Now, when we say be more dynamic, we're not saying go air raid and, you know, throw it 60 times a game, but you, know, you got to mix things up a little bit. Keep defenses off balance. You got to uh, get creative in the way that you that you mix in the run in the pass and that, you know, achieving true balance, meaning not 50% run, 50% pass, but true balance means – you know, you have everybody on your offense contributing, you know, Correct. one way or the other. You know, we, we looked at, you know, Kurt, we look at that 2018 uh, Hillwood offense, and one of the great things about that is, is, you know, for the first time ever, and I still haven't been able to do this since then, uh, was we achieved, we achieved true balance because we had <clears throat> three receivers over 800 yards. We had another one chip in for uh, – I think it was 500, and right. then we had our running back also uh, had about 500 yards rushing uh, on the season. So we, we were pretty pretty even as far as that goes. We had uh, two guys neck and neck. Miller and Eric were neck and neck in receiving yards. And then, um, you know, I think Hale chipped in with a bunch of yards with his feet as well. So uh, we, we were a truly balanced offense, and, you know, we didn't have a – you know, we didn't have this long laundry list and thick playbook like this of, of concepts. We just did what we did. And, you know, we got guys open and we, you know, we did a good job of distributing the ball. Hale did a tremendous job of distributing the ball around and, and, and getting guys involved. And that's what that's what Eddie Grant has to do. He has to promote true balance. And if he doesn't do that, if he doesn't recruit to that, then they're always going to struggle because, you know, you, you hone in on uh, Cavassier Smoke and uh, – Rodriguez and, and AJ Rose, you know, you, you, you put heat on Joey Gatewood and you know that he's got nothing to throw to or that, you know, the, the, the concepts are, you know, I, I guess not really much um, and very predictable. So something's got to change there. And, and I don't know, uh, you know, if Mark Stoops wants to make it to the next level and if he wants to compete and, and break into that upper tier with Georgia, Tennessee and Florida in the East, He's got to make a change there because they're this close, this close right here, like razor's edge close to being a really good, really good, consistent football team. And they're just not there yet. Same song, like you're saying. It was that way last year and the Mm -hmm. prior year as well. Uh, We had went up and watched uh, Kentucky host Georgia Mm -hmm. and or – a better part of three quarters, they outplayed Georgia. But the thing that I noticed, and I noticed this about a lot of the teams that are that are, we're asking these questions about, is the balance for each position group is important. But one of the things is throwing on first down, you know, and coming out and throwing on first down. 
And the defensive-minded coach is like, well, what, you know, if it's incomplete, it's second down and ten. But then you set up your offense to where you can get six, you know, five and a half, six yards. Now it's third and manageable. But throwing them first down, like Joy Gatewood and those receivers are not built to beat man-to-man coverage. So if it's third down and six or third down and medium, they're coming with the blitz. And you know, on first down, you're probably not going to see that. And, you know, and, and if you do, then you're, you know, you're, you're facing an old Jolie Dunn defense where they're blitzing every play. So, you know, you just need to keep more guys in there and get one-on-one routes and run some rubs, rub routes. But you guys are, are straight on with, um, with Eddie Grant. I think he, he's got a lot of Auburn background back in the day when he, he came up through the, the Noel Mazzoni era and was transitioning as a running back coach and a special teams coach into being more of a, a, a dynamic play caller. But it takes time. But the number one thing, if you, can, if you will throw 60% of your first down plays in the passing game, you're going to have success because that's going to keep the defense off balance. And let's face it, you can get in third down and medium. Then you've thrown them first down, you completed – you know, 50 or 60% of those, you're going to have good, you know, you're going to have momentum, those receivers, the defense is going to be loosened up for a guy that likes to run the ball and call running plays like Eddie Grand does. Yeah, and and you, if you want to have success like that, that's, you know, that that's the recipe, you know. And if you're listening, Eddie, there you go. Just hire just hire Kurt. He'll there you go. It. He'll get it done or, or hire me, and I'll, I'll go up there. Or um, go to Lexington, Kentucky, and yeah, I'll, I'll, look good in blue. BBN right there, yeah. Um, so, you know, going from one Eastern team, I, I mentioned Tennessee. You know, they have a similar situation at quarterback. They have this uh, veteran, uh, Jared Garantano. Uh, we know what we have with him. Uh, we, we know what we're going to get. Very limited capacity um, and just has the and just has the ability to melt down at inopportune times and uh, did so great first-half quarterback. A terrible second half quarterback, as evidence in a lot of games. Um, and he was the only one that he he was the one that uh, ignited Kentucky's passing defense because up until that point, Kentucky was like, "How do we defend this forward pass thing?" Because they probably never see it in practice. But um, so <laughs> so, what do you do at quarterback at Tennessee? Do you like how asinine is it that Harrison Bailey has not gotten any? reps with the ones or the twos. How is it that you sign this kid out of Marietta and he's supposed to be this stud, right? He's supposed to be the future of your program. It's a COVID year. He's got a free year. You're now you're, you're in a spiral where your team is just getting worse every week uh, because they just can't bear the brunt of all. Like the defense is good, but they can't carry the weight and the burden of a terrible struggling offense. Um, all the time. So, do you go? When do you when do you pull the trigger? When do you go to Harrison Bailey? When when is it? When is he ready? There's there's never a good time. Ready is ready. Get in there and get it done. What like I I would go to him because Stroud ain't. I don't think Stroud's got it. And Brian Ma, Brian Maurer is still uh, living nightmares of Eric Stokes taking you know, snatching his soul. So, what do you do there, Craig? <laughs> well, you know, Corey, I'll cut him some slack. Uh, Bailey Bailey. Uh, had a bout with COVID-19, missed some, missed, missed some practice time uh, before the season. So put him behind, and, and I'm just going by what was spoken from the lips of Jeremy Pruitt. 
Now, I can completely understand why you don't throw a true freshman to a bunch of rabid dogs, as in the Alabama Crimson Tide. I think if you put him out there against them, his yeah, I, first I start that. as a true freshman, he, you could probably ruin him for the rest of his career. But they did, they that. did that. They did that to Maurer. So that there's there's your evidence. Well, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I, but still, I, you know, I I I completely understand that. Now they've had a week off. We'll see what happens. I personally don't think uh, that Bailey will get there. Uh, don't think Maurer nor Stout. I think it will be Garantano. Uh, when they play at Arkansas on Saturday night, um, at this point, as Jeremy Pruitt has said, and I and I and I agree with him on this, he gives them the best. As sad as this is to say, he gives them the best opportunity to win right now. Yeah, I guess it's a similar situation to Georgia, but Georgia still got all their goals ahead of them. So, I guess you need to go with a veteran there. But um, let me talk a bit about leadership, and I think Jeremy Pruitt is. In his leadership style, I really – I wish he – I'm sure he doesn't study other coaches. And there's a coach down in Miami Dolphins that just said, look, you know what? We drafted this guy. We're going to put him in. This is when we're going to put him in. We've got Brian Flores. Day. He's going to – he's going to have the week, and he's going to be the guy. And he – did he did he throw for uh, 200, 300 yards? No, he threw for 93 yards. But the whole team believes in their leader. And the whole team believes that Tua is going to be the guy. And I think Tennessee has nothing of that. They have zero of that. They don't know, they don't know if the janitor is Jeremy. They don't know who Jeremy Pruitt is. They are, they're, they're walking around. You can see them when they come out there. They're like dead men walking. And Jeremy Pruitt, it's all on him. You know, and I think I think Palmer sees it. You know, you've got to make a stand as a head football coach and say, if 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 you go and recruit this guy and he's the best guy, top four or five prospect, four-star guy, and you bring him into the fold, COVID-19, you know, that, that's been a while. Put the guy in, tell everybody he's our guy, and ride him. Let's ride. He, you know, it's like, it's like, okay, the wind blew in, we're going to go with this guy. And then the wind's going to blow in, we're going to go with this guy. And now we're back to – and the whole team's like, you know, we don't have a guy. And, you know, do we have – where's our head coach at? You know, and, and and not to go back on Kentucky, but I will tell you, Kentucky, they have a leader as the coach, and they know they really – they're hoping that Joey Gatewood can be their guy, and they're now saying he is our guy, and he's ready to go. And so mm-hmm. they're going to ride him. And, and so now your whole defense, they know which direction you're going to go. And I think Tennessee's really liking that. And a lot, a lot of our coaches in that. SEC, they're lacking that leadership. Yeah, and and you would like to see, you know, the, the all the good things you can say about Kirby. You'd like to see him pull the trigger on, you know, making the right quarterback decision and, and just going with, you know, because I don't think deep down inside he really believes in Stetson Bennett. Maybe he does. I don't know, but I, I don't know. You you got to make bold moves, and you know, a, a guy that. You know Kirby had on his staff before, uh, who's at Arkansas now, uh, a guy that, you know, I, I'm going to start studying a little bit more. Uh, is yes, the guy sir. Over in Arkansas. Yes, sir. You got it, uh, Sam Pittman, man. I, I, you know, I mean, I can believe it. Um, you know, he made great hires. 
um, as his coordinators and, and then, you know, on down on the staff with uh, Barry Odom and um, Kendall Bryles um, as his coordinators. I thought he did a tremendous job hiring staff, and he has hit the ground running. I mean, he has done things with Felipe Franks that Dan Mullen never dreamed of doing, uh, accomplishing with, with a guy like Felipe Franks. Coach Burton, he was there when they won last time. I mean, so he knows what winning looks like at the University of Arkansas. Yes, absolutely. I forgot. I bet he still had a house there. You know how these coaches moving. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. I, I mean, he never got to sell his house. He had I mean, the same, went back to the same barber. Oh know, yeah, the same, yeah he, the same guy that makes his suits. You know everything. So think, think about this, guys. Preseason, we're talking Arkansas and Vandy battling out for the cellar. And I saw, you know, you know, several that had Arkansas worse than Vanderbilt. Now look at it now. What daylight and dark between those two programs. Leadership, leadership, leadership. Yeah. Sam Pittman, A, is a great recruiter. Um, B, is a master motivator. I mean, when he left the first time to come to Georgia with Kirby, his offensive linemen were begging him. They made every effort they possibly could to get him not to go. He went, but now he's back. And and, And they lobbied for him to get the head coaching job. I mean, there was names being thrown around. They offered Lane Kiffin the job. You know, they were they were going after some big names, and then all of a sudden, Sam Pittman? Really? Okay. Like, he's never been a head coach before. He's never even been a coordinator, I don't think. Um, but here he is, and he's, he's, he's in line for, I think he's coach of the year in the SEC. I mean, snapped a, snapped a 20-game conference losing streak. Hands down. And I think he was a head coach years and years ago. Um, I want to say at, at, a, at, a, at a junior college stop. I think he was a head coach. Maybe. Yeah, maybe so. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. But, but he, he's done a great job. You know, he's a leader. He's done guys, more with less. Guys want that. I mean, especially yeah. in COVID-19, they need a stand-up guy. Like, I just I, – I, Jeremy Pruitt has – you know, it's, it's like the train went by him and he didn't get on the train. He had some mm-hmm. – he's had some chances, <laughs> man. That train stopped, and I would have put that freshman in there. I saw the kid throw – a few years back at Franklin Road Academy one afternoon at a, at a, at a recruiting camp. And, uh, you know, Harrison, I mean, he was legit. But you could hear the ball spinning and went by my head. And I knew – I've heard that a couple times. I've heard it from Max Johnson, quarterback in LSU, uh, Kevin Murray, Texas A&M. My balls never spun and made that sound. But I heard Harrison, when he threw the ball, you could hear it spinning by, you know. And yeah. it, was, it was tremendous. But I really think he – he missed that, but I think I think Arkansas. Um, I'll be really surprised if it's if it. I, I'm looking for a shellacking. I'm looking for Arkansas just to lay the yeah. number. Of guys. I mean, Ar- Arkansas but had a chance to lay down. Fire. They're they gonna play. A, fire. Yes, they had a chance to lay down uh, this past weekend against A uh, and M. You know, because A and M got you know they they traded blows there in the first quarter. Uh, early second quarter, then A&M kind of gained some momentum and pulled away at home, which they're, you know, they tend to do. And then, you know, it was, I think, 42-21 maybe um, at some point. And then they came roaring back in the fourth quarter, and, and they, they made it a game. They made it a they made it a two-score game. And, and so uh, that's something that Arkansas last year – that would have been a that would have been a sixty six to twenty one blowout um, in in that scenario last year if this was last year's Arkansas bunch. So I remember at A and M, that's where our Florida coach Dan Mullen lost his mind. He said they 
they were so loud that we got to get the swamp filled up and they made the difference. And yeah. oh my yeah. gosh, you know, he was saying, and then COVID hit, and then COVID hit, yeah. Yeah. COVID hit him hard, um, yes. hit him in the face. Talk about, a, I mean, talk about a weird guy. I mean, he's a weird, he's got a weird personality, I think. I, you know, you, you talk about leadership. I mean, how do you follow that guy? I, I don't get it. I mean, yeah, he's a great X's and O's guy. He knows what he's doing. That's not, that's not, the, that's not the questionable part. Questionable part is just odd, weird attitude and behavior and personality. And I, I don't know that, you know, I don't know that I could get behind that. What? I was going to say, you know, the, the funny thing about that, you talk about Mullen, is the fact that, you know, uh, the University of Tennessee really courted him to be their next head coach. I think George talked to him. I mean, and, yeah. And, and he's an Urban I mean, Meyer guy. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and, you know, there were reports that, uh, you know, he, he was close to taking it. There were some reports I saw that he was going to take it. Uh, ultimately, he goes back to Florida. We had a lot of success uh, um, as OC under Urban Meyer. But it just goes to show you how, you know, maybe fortunes could change here or there, you know, how things could change. I mean, Tom Herman uh, was the it guy, too. Yeah. He, he's yeah, another exactly. weirdo. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it, it's just – it's really funny how things can, can just be that close to really changing one program – Maybe a Tennessee versus a Florida, and you know, it, it's it's ironic how, how that ends up happening uh, in the end. That uh, you know, uh, of course, you know, uh, it, it, the the pirate could have been in Knoxville also. That there was <laughs> there was a time there, so it, it's really it's really interesting as we talk about coaching chatter at at, at the rumors a lot of times that of uh, people coming to. Uh, different universities, and then you step back and look at it and go, "How in the world will Leach play in Knoxville?" Uh, it, that would that you're talking about a marriage not made in heaven. That would have been it. Yeah, you're probably right, and and you know he he's a he's a quirky guy too, and and he, he's somebody that it, it takes him getting used to, and you know he recruits a, a certain kind of kid. And so I think once he finally gets those uh, in Mississippi State, he'll be fine. But um, it, you know, you have to be a special kind of dude to to be around him. And hey, I guess hey, I guess with Mullen too. Yeah, I was gonna say, and he runs off an all SEC running back uh, that had thirteen hundred and fifty yards last year. Just just yeah. disposes him as he would dispose of a uh, candy wrapper into the trash can. Well, yeah, just like he, that. Well, he truly is cleaning Spurrier, house. The, the Steve, the Steve Spurrier, he says that uh, Coach Leach won't run the ball, so they're on the same page. <laughs> they're running back and say, well, I'm going to opt out. I'm going to the NFL. He didn't run the ball. I mean, uh, that, that's what Spurrier put out there. And that was, that was kind of quiet. I mean, uh, I heard of that very little because younger Steve Spurrier Jr. is on the staff there. He's coaching the slots and in the wide receiver position. But, uh, you know, yeah. You know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how this year finishes up for the Pirate down in Mississippi State because there's so much. It's going to so be rough stuff going on, and uh, and he's done he's done this before. You know, he's he's called out his players and told them you know they were everybody's going to get a trophy and this this not softball. And, you know, yeah, uh, you know. I mean, he inherited Washington State and they went two and ten his first year. 
Yeah. There. I mean, it, you know, he, he he's a get in there and tear it all down and then I mean yeah. tear it down and yeah. then build what it. What did back they up. have six touchdowns in the first in the opener against LSU? Obviously in touchdown, and they've had three cents, I believe. That's yeah. not that's it, not it's, mistaken. It's so so bad. So so bad. But we want to talk about bad football. Let's let's look at Middle Tennessee. Um you got two uh you got two colleges that are just unbearable to watch. Uh, Kurt, uh, your your Commodores, yes, and uh, also uh, sad, Coach Stockstill. Sad, sad times. Uh, you know, one bright spot, I guess, is the freshman quarterback is making making some progress. Uh, you know, they are doing some things that, you know, the Louisiana Tech new uh, protege from the Louisiana Tech offensive coordinator, he's really – He's really starting to maybe open up a little bit and Todd and, Fitch. and doing a, a better job of getting distributed the balls we discussed earlier. You know, he threw some balls out there early and uh, you know, just needed really to mirror what Ole Miss was doing. You know, there you know, one of the neat things that Ole Miss does, and we've always done this, Corey, you know, we have a left receiver and a right receiver. Yeah. It's nothing in the world that makes me just about uh, I, I I, I don't I don't I don't like throwing up, but it, it makes me almost throw up when I see these passing teams running receivers all the way across the field. You know, all they need to do is move the slots and move the H back, keep the wide receiver on the left and the wide receiver on the right. You don't lead from that spot. And everybody's marveling at Lane Kiffin, how he's and Kendall Browse that he'll do the same thing. He's got a left receiver and a right. Those guys just stand out there. Mm-hmm. And then a slot will come in or a tight end will come in. And they're ready to snap the ball. Finally, last week, I could see because Ole Miss was doing it to us. You know, six touchdowns later, or seven passing touchdowns later, uh, we would we would just keep the receiver set and move the inside slot around, and you know, look at matchups. And and so we've got to continue doing that and really work on that, and, and you know, and and, and try to. And Jay, try to support uh, what players we got that didn't opt out at Vanderbilt. Uh, I'm very disappointed in the leadership of, of Derek Mason. Uh, I just don't see, uh, you know, we have new leadership at Vanderbilt. We have a new president of school, and we have a new athletics director. Mm-hmm. And we have two new assistant athletic directors. And I think it's time for us to to, to make a statement and say, okay, to, for us to be the leaders, and, and and I have so many teammates, and one of my great teammates was a basketball player, Will Purdue, and he's and he's on he's on the top of the shelf talking about Vanderbilt does not care about athletics. Bottom line, and he's true, and that guy knows. We had classes together at George Peabody College, and there was a window of time, and it was really just James Franklin being James Franklin that willed a lot of these victories and willed a new indoor practice facility. But after that, we have not had any upgrades to the locker room. We've been promised. There's been zero done. Listen to this, guys. I played high school football there, 1980. Nothing has done to that stadium. They put some paint on the concrete walls. That's it. Mm. And everybody in – we've been getting millions and millions and millions of dollars from this – SEC brand and nothing goes back into the uh, nothing back into the stadium to help sta- help the fans experience. You know, it, 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 I mean, I, I'm, I'm beside myself and we need a change. 
Yeah. Well, l- let me say this. I don't think any of us expect them to win a, a football game this year. Am I correct with that? Yeah. I think so they're oh for the season. We all three expect that to happen. I'm trying to get the double figures in my mind. <laughs> I'm serious. If we, if we can get 10 or more, I, I, they're good. Well, I guess what I'm saying is I, I read something uh, this week that that suggests, of course, you, you can't confirm this because Vanderbilt's a private university. They don't have to release anything. That confirmed that when he re-upped, it was a six-year contract. He's in the second year of it. So what are you going to do? Do you really think Vanderbilt's going to buy him out of four years of the rest of the, uh, four years of that contract? Considering what we just talked about, how there've been no upgrades whatsoever to the stadium, and they don't care anything about athletics. Or do you keep riding the guy, knowing that? There is no light at the end of the tunnel. It's criminal. What, we, what we're doing at Vanderbilt right now is criminal because we are not taking the best interest of these student-athletes. They're in the greatest conference, the greatest city in the conference, in my opinion. No doubt. And no that, doubt. Yeah, and, and we have so, so many marketable things that we're not telling our story, and, and we've got to tell the story. And, and, and right now, uh, you know, I just think we need to blow the whole thing up, you know, and, and get us a new coach. You know, let's get, you know, let's get let's get some things going. Let's get some enthusiasm. Uh, let's do some things, and, and uh, we're just not doing it. And you know, and, and the thing is, is uh, you know, we can't. We don't have the same players as these other teams, like a Georgia, a Tennessee, a you know, Florida, all the teams in the East. So we probably need to do something different offensively and we also need to do something different defensively and i and i commend james franklin he ran like eight man line he would shift his center he had guys that could snap so they would shift and that's how they got to that's how they got the overload coach burden yeah they would they would train the left guard to know how to snap and they would just slide the whole offensive line up there and all of a sudden georgia you know back in the mark rick days and uh and the defensive coordinators he had, you know, we, 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 they, they run to the bubble. They run power off tackle and pick up seven, eight, 10, 15 yards. How confident are those kids then? They're like, we got something, you know? And, and I don't see that. I don't see that swag on the field. Now we have swag with our coach aware of the vest and he'll do this and he's got good rant, you know, rant, uh, rhymes and, you know, he can rap some, but, you know, uh, you know, the players, they they get all that from all these entertainers, right, guys? Yeah. We need as a coach. You know, we need to chatter to get up here. We're gonna have us a coach. He's gonna put us in position. Not not to get touchdowns. We just need first downs. And then defensively, uh, you know, we need, need, we need to make some stops. You know, and, and not not you know, we we're gonna give up scores. That's they're gonna have you know, there was a play against Missouri. I turned it off. We play in Missouri. A guy ran 90 yards, and I never saw a Vanderbilt player in the film on TV. The kid ran. It was off-tackle play. I knew it was South Carolina. Was it South Carolina? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. South Carolina, yeah. I, I'm giving Missouri too much praise right now. <laughs> South, I never saw it. You turned it off. You didn't know who it was. <laughs> I mean, I was like, you know, are we playing eight men on defense? I mean, what, what's the deal here? So, we, you know, and I, and I – I just, uh, I just really, it's, I'm just frustrated with them about just the way, like you said, you know, 
Undefeated season, no. Winning record, it's going to be hard. Ten SEC you know, games. But let's be competitive. If, if someone drops the ball, if someone makes, you know, if they don't want to take it and take it, we need to be right there with them. But we're not, you know. And I think if they, and, and the sad part is it hurts the, the, all of the SEC because now when you start talking, it's like the have and the have-nots. It's such a huge separation. That's what's going on now nationally is Alabama is so far ahead of everybody else. 41 nothing with Mississippi State, you know. And so, it, you know, we've we really got to get the, these coaches to step up their game because we need the whole, the whole league to rise up, you know, through this COVID experience. Well, I, I look at it this way, and, and I think it goes back to a recruiting thing. Um, for one, I'll, I'll point out there's a, a running back at Lipscomb Academy named Alex Broom. Uh, he made a 31 on his ACT. He's got a 4.2 GPA. Um, he last week was offered by Michigan State. I have not heard one thing about Vanderbilt offering Alex Broom. And this also goes back to I see all the mid-state players on the roster for Georgia Tech. None of them, none of them had, I'll say, very little consideration by Vanderbilt to offer them a scholarship. To me, and, and I'll point to one more. How about Keyshawn Vaughn? Uh, you know, you, you let him get out of the city. He goes to Illinois, has a great uh, freshman year. Not so he's a little injured his sophomore year. Ends up transferring back. Why, why are you not getting him to begin with? I, I don't get that. To me, it, you ride with guys that are local. If you're not putting a good product out there, you're still going to have some fans come because you got local product out there. I don't get why you want to recruit, let's say, a kid from Baltimore, Maryland, that's on the same level as a kid that you have 20 miles down the road. That doesn't make any sense to me. Same, same with the Blue Raiders, too. Why don't they recruit? They, don't, they do not recruit Rutherford County, and they should. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. Uh, they, they are, their pipeline seems to be Georgia. They've had some success. Hadn't been, hadn't been lately. They've had a huge drop-off. I think Rick's in trouble uh, there just because of the fact that, uh, you know, he, he's not been consistent in his winning, and things seem to be they tumbling look, down they look as far as I right go. Now. And, and to be quite honest, I think, you know, the guy who hired him is going to be in trouble too, Chris Massaro. I think he's yeah. in trouble. Their basketball program, men's basketball pro- program, has gone down the – it's gone down to toilet since Kermit uh, – Davis left for Mississippi State. So, I think it's a bigger problem with the whole athletic department. But you're right. Uh, MTSU does not recruit Rutherford County, which, to be quite honest, if, if there are people that are going to be watching this that are not from around this area, it's a hotbed. That is a hotbed for high school football in this state. It's Rutherford County. Well, it's just like let's, – let's jump to the round ball for just a second. The University of Memphis – Every head coach there for basketball, what they say the first day, all we got to do is close all the exits leaving Memphis, keep them all here, and we'll be just fine. That is what needs to happen with Middle Tennessee. It's the Schnellenberger uh, philosophy in in Miami, rope off the state of Miami. Yeah, yeah, the state of Miami. If Middle Tennessee would do that Rutherford County, then they will 
not only sign them the first time, is when a kid is thinking, well, I'm not getting, I'm, they're not playing the system I like at my XYZ University. I'm going to play for the Big Blue Raiders. Now, Vanderbilt, the blueprint for Vanderbilt has been and was every time they've had success in their over 100 years of football is they had local talent. And the blueprint is shown by Northwestern having guys from Chicago. Northwestern tries to own Chicago. And guess what? They are in Chicago. Illinois has to fight them. Now, the very top five-star All-American, number one, he may go to Ohio State. He may go to Michigan. But every other guy is going to go to Northwestern. And that's why you have elite coaches on your staff that can develop some of those uh, lower-end uh, local stars that can you know you can you can have them play to the level of five star if you develop them correctly. So you got to have guys, you got to have balance on your staff. You got to have guys that can recruit the area, right? That know and can recruit, and then you got to have guys behind them that can that can develop. So you, you got to get creative with how you hire your staff if, if that's the case. If you're at a Vanderbilt, and the other thing too is the, the the significance of recruiting local is being a private institution. Okay. Not you have a lot of sidewalk alumni. When Vanderbilt is good, you have so many people that love Vanderbilt. Okay, and when they're not as good, you lose those sidewalk alumni. But what happens is, if you have some some guys that are local, that they'll play a little harder, they'll practice a little harder, they'll study a little harder, they'll want things to happen at a at a higher level for the institution. I mean, in every sport. Uh, through the years at Vanderbilt basketball and baseball and football, the big three, they have had local talent guys. Our state, our guys from the Middle Tennessee area, and I'll even reach down to the Northern Alabama area. I'll reach out to in Knoxville. You know, there's been guys that you know maybe they're not the first pick at running back. And the thing is, nowadays we know who the three and four. This guy, Coach Burton, right here, he knows the three and four and five stars when they're ninth and tenth grade, right, Coach Burton? Yeah. Vanderbilt needs to go ahead and offer those guys right now. And here we go. We go, well, we don't know if he's going to – look, he's in all AP classes as a freshman and sophomore. Our Sente Broom dad is a legendary coach many years here in Middle Tennessee, was a collegiate player. I coached against him when he was a high school player, outstanding running back. You offer that guy the freshman year. He's already – his PSAT scores, what are we doing? The PS, they can get these scores. These kids, all you got to do is get on the social media. They're going to put up there, I just made a so-and-so's, you know, PSAT score. People put this stuff out there. Do we not have somebody probing the social media? And so so, so I blame that on the on the chatter for the coaches for Vanderbilt. You know, we can do a much better job there. And then that will help. It will help the significance of wins for Ole Miss, you know, if we lose to Ole Miss, but it's going to be more competitive. Last week it was not competitive, and no. I don't see it getting no. better. I mean, he was thirty-one of thirty-four through the air. He said, "I mean, my goodness." Eli you know? Manning. Eli Manning knew. I mean, I knew. I, I don't have Eli Manning's. I was going to text him if I had it and say, "Look, you one of your records is about to be tied or broken." <laughs> this guy, you know, and it, it was no like four-yard passes. These were deep dig pass, deep routes. I mean, post corners, fades. You know, Coach Burton. Yeah. It was. It was a. It was. It, it was, was a, an air show. 
Yeah, six touchdowns. Yeah. So and, and they called the dogs off. Yeah, and the thing is, is, disappointing to me was, and we've coached a long time, and we know the number they rang up. Once he got to the fifty biscuit, he he pulled them off. But what if mm-hmm. he got to seventy? Would that have woke somebody up and those big ivory towers at Vanderbilt? No, hmm. they never have been awakened. So mm-hmm. I, I mean. You know, maybe the change in leadership will do something. You've got a new AD, and as you mentioned, the new chancellor. I mean, if I'm the new AD, what, what am I seeing in this program that that gives me confidence that he can turn this around in the four years that he has left, if that's true, on his contract? They're getting but, worse every yeah, week. But, again, here we go. This I is, this is a caveat, and this is going to come up a lot this year when – Teams or schools are just trying to decide if they want to get rid of their coach and he has years left on his contract. And that is, you have lost a ton of money because of COVID. For example, the University of Tennessee, it's come out that they have estimated they're going to lose $147 million as a result of this because, you know, obviously the football program. Nobody in the stands, they're not buying beer, they're not buying concessions so on and so forth. That's going to be a consideration in this thing when you've got a coach that you want to get rid of, you've got several years on it, and you go to your president or your AD and say, hey, well, go to your president, and the AD doesn't say, hey, we need to get rid of this guy. Goes, we don't have any money to get rid of it. Well, I, let, me, let me say about the coaching, the coaching business right now. One of the good things I think can come out of COVID-19 is these exorbitant contracts of Buyouts uh, after one year is so incredible. Like the dust miles on, we can go to we can go to Auburn here shortly. But the the buyouts, they have got to do a better job. I mean, whoever these agents are are doing an incredible job because mm-hmm. they have now held these universities hostages, and the coaches know. They know, like they know the situation, and and who wouldn't want to be bought out? I mean, probably the. The best job in America is to be the head football coach at a major university. The second best job is to be a fired head coach from a major university. Because then, you know, you just you know, get on, you know, just get a chance to, to uh, really state the case about a lot of other things. But it's really disappointing. So I hope this moving forward that we don't have these contracts. And, I, and I'm really disappointed to learn that Derek Mason's got four more full years and we can't pay it. You know, we can't make a change and um, surely some rich alumni will say here. (laughs) Yeah, but it's, it's just disappointing. The the, the whole, the whole, maybe this COVID will wake some people up that, Hey, you know, we don't need to, I mean, let's get back to, you know, let's earn your keep. You know, I I believe in, in, you know, in in buying into a coach, but you know, at at a reasonable price, you know? Yeah. And this coaching chatter that we're discussing, it's, it's really frustrating for, for fans uh, they want to get behind their teams, and, and alumnus want to get behind their teams, and they see, you know, I'm I had no, there's nothing, I, nothing really we can do, you know, we're we're just going, how bad is it going to get in the next few years if we can't, you know, because obviously, obviously he knew it was bad because when you fire <laughs> and get rid of coordinators, and you bring in new coordinators, and then nothing has changed, I go back to leadership. Obviously, he has not, you know, enhanced those guys that he has brought them in to do this job. 
And, and, and the best leaders, they bring people in. And I try to mimic this for all the coaches that I've ever had the opportunity to work with is give them an opportunity to grow and learn and put their, put their, put their signature on something, you know, and, and, and I haven't seen that at Vanderbilt. I haven't seen that. I look at Tennessee uh, with their coordinators and wonder what's going on there. You know, I wonder how you fire defensive line coach during a game. You know, and, and then I wonder, that's leadership, you know. Leadership. Who does this stuff, you know? And it's almost comical, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, I just – it's just really – I mean, I mean, we have so much to talk about, and we're getting down into the – we're getting down into weeds with these guys, and that's where it needs yeah. to be. That's why our show is going to be successful, and I know people are going to embrace, you know, hearing this stuff and knowing about stuff and, mm-hmm. and just the inside stuff that we, we we've all been – you know, we've seen and know and, and know the trends and what way things are trending. But how about that? They fire the defensive line coach. During the game. Now, now you talk about leadership. There you go, Kurt. Yeah. Leadership. Now they have three they have three coaches on the defensive staff staff at the University of Tennessee. Three. Yeah. Three. Three. How do you have three? And and, and I don't I just don't I just don't understand. I don't understand that. I don't understand how they how, how, how did does Garen Tonnell play on the defensive line? Am I missing something? So, I just don't understand how that's acceptable. I really don't. Hey, you're gonna cut. I had a cramp. <laughs> Coach Ladd has got a cramp. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. He has been Coach Ladd this is will this. be cut out of the. Uh, I mean, I had a cramp. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. It's, but it's uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how both those teams develop in state and go along with Middle Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Southeastern footprint, uh, yeah. and then uh, then I see our team in Chattanooga. They're ready to get up to not up to Nebraska and play, and then they get the the rug pulled out from under it underneath them. Uh, I really like uh, uh, some of these teams that are ready to step up and take on teams and go yeah. battle these days. How about how about Will Healy at, at Charlotte? I think yeah, I he's think done he's a tremendous job out there. I mean, coach, I think he's uh, he's a he's a he's he's what the young people resonate to. They like him, man. He pulls his shirt off. He gets up in the locker room. You know, they, he's he's with them. You know, he it's not there's there's no uh, nothing phony about the guy. I mean, he he tells them tells them like it is, and then uh, he treats his life and he goes about it the right way. And uh, I think he's doing a great job. And uh, you know, he's got Charlotte. He's got Charlotte getting better every every season. He's been there now, and every week, and and they're they're competitive and. Uh, you know, sure would look nice and black and gold, somebody like that. I had a chance to meet him a couple of years ago when he was at Austin P. Uh, up in the press box uh, after a football game. And uh, I was very impressed by him and knew after my conversation with him that he wouldn't be no, no slight to Austin P., but he was not going to be there very long. I mean, he was, as Kurt said, he related to the young people on his team. You could see it on the sideline and just very personable guy. I mean, just, you know, uh, kissing babies all the way up to the press box, you know, that type of guy. So, uh, you know, but, but again, Kurt, who at this point, unless you fire out a ton of money to somebody, why do you want to go to Vanderbilt, which is now it's career suicide. Yeah, it, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, 
you know, but but there is there is a star a star that has made it. You know, very true. Yes, James Franklin. Yes, but you know everything had to line up exactly perfect for him. You know, through uh, as Coach Burton knows the the Mark yeah. Rick debacles through there, and then mm-hmm. Florida and their lack of coaching, lack of leadership, and then uh, Tennessee. You know, with the things they went through with Butch and Jones and all that. So, but you know. He contributed to that. You know, James Franklin did. You know, he recruited to uh, the, the style of guys that he wanted, and he took some local guys. He took other guys that were, uh, you know, were passed over in other hotbeds and knew they would really get excited about playing in the SEC. And uh, that, that, that excited me uh, back when he was coaching. Let me tell you something. He visited every single high school in the state of Tennessee before he ever coached one game at Vanderbilt. Yeah, and that's that, and that resonates with high school coaches. How about mm-hmm. Vanderbilt? We don't even have a director of high school coaching relations position. Tennessee has one. Arkansas has two of these guys. You know, Alabama they got like five. You know, so you know, if you if you want to to we gotta we gotta own something, and we need to own the state of Tennessee. You know, the state of Nashville. Yeah, Nashville, yes, I love it. And I you, you it. make that point. I actually, when I was the, the sports editor of the city paper, um, I was talking to a Vanderbilt official, I'll say. I won't name him. Uh, and I was a little hot under the collar because I thought they were uh, spoon-feeding the Tennesseans some stories, uh, and it, it, it made me mad. Obviously, there's competition there, and, and you know, I didn't want the Tennessean to be, be – uh, beat our guys on, on stories. So my exact words, and you said this, Corey, my exact words to him were, were you need to be worried about Nashville and not Hohenwald mm-hmm. when you get what you get with the Tennessean. Because at that point, the city paper had almost the same circulation as the Tennessean mm-hmm. in Nashville. That's what I said to him. You need to be worried about Nashville, taking care of Nashville instead of Hohenwald. That's right. City of Nashville. It's a great place. I mean, Kurt, we got to get you on the Believe in Vandy podcast as well because uh, uh, my guy Matt Perkins, he hosts with former player Ryan Seymour who played offensive line for James Franklin and tells so many, has a lot of great insight on how and why Franklin was uh, was successful. And and for a brief run, uh, he had Zach Stacy as his co-host, but Zach Stacy had to had to dip away for some, I guess, some personal issues. But um, so yeah, we got to get you on that show also. But um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna wrap there. Um, you know, we're we're going to uh, we're gonna conclude our first first ever episode. We've got obviously we've got so much to uh, so much will unfold between now and our next episode. Uh, so many things to talk about. You know, the situation down at LSU, that'll be something we touch on in the next episode. Uh, what's going on with Gus Malzahn? We'll take a look at Auburn. Um, how can Georgia Tech, if we're looking at the just the footprint of, of the Southeast, um, you know, we'll go outside the SEC, but we'll, we'll take a look at Georgia Tech and what Jeff Collins is doing well, what he's not doing well with his 404 culture. Um, you know, we can, you know, we can examine and we'll continue to examine week by week uh, the, uh, the, the coaching aspects and, and, you know, who's doing, who's doing things that are cutting edge, you know, who has great leadership techniques, you know, what, 
you know what's going on who who are the who are the uh the the next the next stars in waiting in in the coaching world also we'll take a look at that as well so uh this has been uh for Craig Ladd and Kurt Page I'm Corey Burton this is coaching chatter uh, hopefully to soon be on the believe podcast network so uh, if you want to sponsor the show uh let me know it can this show can be presented by you uh, just uh, just hit us up, but uh, it, it's been a pleasure, guys. And uh, you know we'll have many more episodes to come. And Kurt, you said it; we're, the, the the lid is going to be blown straight off the house on this one. So uh, it's a uh, you know, like I said, I, I enjoyed it with you guys uh, tonight. And uh, you know, with that, we any final words? Outstanding stage one. Of we're going to build on this and got a good foundation. Couldn't do it. With- Two other great guys, and we're going to bring this coaching chatter to a new level. Enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it, guys. Uh, I've, I've got a lot of opinions on on a lot of things, and this gives me a a, a format to do it in and, and looking forward to many episodes because every week it seems to be uh, uh, days of our lives in the SEC. We've got a lot to talk about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And and it, it's it's very. I'm sure there's gonna be some new issues that we that we dissect. And you know, once we kind of get through the through the base layer, uh, there'll be some things that we can that we can unfold and things like that as we progress. So, guys, it's been real. And uh, with that, hope you guys have a great week. Enjoy the week of uh, college football, and uh, see you later. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.